talking on the microphone. Okay. Hello? Hey, I can hear you. I can hear Chris. Yeah, yeah Chris. Can hear me. Take off the headphones. Oh, okay. This is weird. This is my last threesome. I'll leave. <laughs> I knew this was going to be awkward. Yeah, it's super awkward. This like, is going to be my first and last threesome, isn't it? I hope not, because usually in a threesome, there are some sort of rewards or benefits that go along with all the awkward. In a threesome, usually there is sex. <laughs> 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 this is all of the awkward and none of the sex. I just wanted to feel comfortable, that's all. Thank you. All right. I appreciate that. How is it going? Late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I showed up two hours late, and I didn't even get a chance to read any of Seth's emails. I mean, I read his first email, but then I didn't read his second email. What I'm saying is, I'm late and unprepared. So, so basically, Chris is like you this week. <laughs> no, because I read all the articles and I was on time, so... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that means that you read all the articles because Chris was late. No, I did it before he was late, and then, like, it was, like, three hours of nothing. So it's basically been in my head for three hours, and I'm trying to make it not escape. But I started drinking wine, so, like, good luck. How do you want to do this? Like, do you want to just get right to it? Or, like, do you want to, like, I don't know. Well, I mean, you can take my shirt off first. And then I'll hand you the feather. <laughs> Wait, you, you mean me, or Asia? This is already confusing. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should assign, like, numbers or colors or something for <laughs> who we are in this. Because, I mean, honestly, I'm going to be too ashamed to use my name by the time it's over. If I can suggest that, like, one and two hop on top of three, it's <laughs> a lot less shaming to me, then... Even that's confusing, because what if you're, like, getting aroused or fucked by two, and you're like, oh, two, and you start moaning two, and then that's confusing. Are you, Do you mean, like, two of you, or am I calling the person? It's still confusing. Or are you saying you in oh. French? <laughs> <laughs> I always say my own number during sex, so... Oh, yeah, so. Your phone yeah, number? Yeah, my own number. <laughs> yeah, I just... I just scream my phone number during sex. <laughs> <laughs> Area Logistically, we should probably work out something. Otherwise, there's going to be severe didactic privacy issues, as with most reasons. We might as well call this episode of By That I Mean All the Awkward and None of the Sex. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a better title. <laughs> but I also suggest you, you chase the wine with some more wine. Oh, obviously. I'll, always. And, you know, see where the night takes us. Can we get some, like, sexy porn music going? Yeah, I was going to say, that's going to be a lot more effective if you imagine me in a purple velour bathrobe. <laughs> and we should probably have some music on. Bow chicky wow wow. Oh. Some candles. Chris just provided a bow chicka bow wow. Nice. I'd like some candles as well. Mood lighting. We're actually having something better than sex right now. We're mood snacking. And we're eating pop chip Nutella sandwiches. Oh. Burn. I feel so left out. As with most. Honestly, you should. For anyone out there that doubts this, you really are going to enjoy the combination of a potato chip and Nutella. Because the, the sweetness of the Nutella and the saltiness and, and the crunch of the potato chips just really go well together. How come all of your shows of course sound like cooking shows? <laughs> because I'm a fat ass. And I enjoy eating. <laughs> because I like food, okay? I just like food. <laughs> so stop it. Welcome to the Hungry Bitch Podcast. <laughs> uh, yesterday, my mom like went to this fancy cater party, and she came back with, I shit you not, pulled pork on a bed of egg noodles. Oh, that sounds amazing. And it looked disgusting. I was like, what the hell? It's like the most hillbilly fancy dinner I've ever heard of. I I don't get the disgusting part. That just pretty much sounds great through and through. 
Maybe I, mean, I don't eat pulled pork because it, like, it looks like it's already been chewed. I don't like eating food that looks like it's already been chewed. <laughs> Just add it to the list that you and I have nothing in common. Cheryl. <laughs> 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 Wow, this has been an episode full of revelations. <laughs> I don't like pulled pork. Or nipples. When I was growing up, there was food that I wouldn't eat because I thought that they made you look ugly when you ate them. And that's like partially because there's a lot of ugly people in Indiana. And also because like... <laughs> you can't blame that on the food. It's a supermodel of obesity. <laughs> it's also because like when I look at them eating, I literally vomit. Oh, maybe that's why you look ugly because eat. you're vomiting. No, no, I'm a very gorgeous vomiter, actually. <laughs> it's almost acrobatic, Chris. <laughs> it's like the classiest vomit you will ever see. Like, I get my own rags, I put on a fancy dress, and I, like, get right in the middle of the toilet, and I just do my business. And she, she's got a special monogram sash that she removes from her neck to just wipe that slight little wisp of vom on her underchin. And... <laughs> <laughs> then she elegantly goes about her afternoon. Do you take off the leather gloves before? <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. The leather gloves, Asia. Do you take them oh. off before or after you vom? Oh, after, obviously, because, you know, I don't want to necessarily mess up and get any vomit on my manicured hands. <laughs> and where do you keep your non-manicured hands during this? Oh, wait, my non-manicured hands? Yeah, your other set of hands. <laughs> I'm a robot, apparently, now, too. Oh, this podcast is going to be more giggles than moaning. I could already tell. <laughs> I think more giggles than moaning is also a good podcast title. <laughs> Either way, it's a very fair assessment, because I, I rarely hear by that I mean moan. That's great because in a threesome, usually more giggles than moaning would be a bad result. <laughs> that would usually mean that you've gotten the short end of the stick in the threesome and you've been chosen as the less attractive or the least attractive in the combination. You know what I, here's, here's honestly though, I mean, all right, here's the thing I don't like about threesomes. It's like, it's like, you know, when you buy a bucket of ice cream and there's like two flavors and then you eat one of them because you really, really like it and you don't really like the other one that much. And then suddenly you feel obligated to eat the other <laughs> flavor. Because <laughs> you just dug a deep hole in the other flavor that you actually like. That's how it feels sometimes. But it's amazing ah. when you really want both flavors. Then you're just <laughs> digging holes left and right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I've never had that threesome experience, unfortunately. Like, I've never had any threesome experience. Wait, like, Aisha, what? have you had bad ones? Well, once again, like, there's didactic primacy issues. Where, like, if you're having a conversation with three people, one of the people is going to be left out, like, more so than the other two, because, you know, the other one isn't, like, meshing well with the conversation or is off in space or whatever. So, yeah, there's definitely didactic privacy issues. But then there's also, like, you know, when you're having sex with two underage dudes and then the mom walks in and then you get thrown off the bed because they don't want you to go to jail. And then, like, she starts crying because she realizes her son is gay. And then you have to make everybody grill peanut butter jelly sandwiches. I'm confused. Did this happen last week? (laughs) What what have I missed? You're with two underage boys and the mom walks in and throws you out of the bed? No, 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 no. no. One of the boys throws me off the bed because he don't want me to get in trouble. But does the mom get in the bed? No, no, no. She goes downstairs and then they go downstairs and I stay upstairs and think I wasn't there. And then she starts crying, and I didn't want to miss that, so I go downstairs. She was, like, crying because she just, like, figured out her son was a homosexual. It's really funny. Wait, why were you there? I was having sex with both of them. But they're both gay? No, well, they were bi, but, like, I knew they were gay. And then, like, eventually they were gay. Oh, bi now, gay later. Yeah. <laughs> so gay away but is what you're saying. Virgin, and he wanted to lose his virginity, and he wanted a really awesome story. So he was like, can you guys take my virginity? And we were like, okay, that's fine. It's Tuesday. Tell me more about Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> Back to our topic of conversation, how to be a better Muslim. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a Muslim, but I'm dating a Muslim. And they like 
they don't tell you before they start dating you where there's going to be there's going to be a month of, of time when they will not be allowed to have sex with you. It's like dating a transvestite who has who's nervous about telling you something. That's what dating a Muslim is like, because there's always going to be something that they were nervous to tell you about first. It's like, that's rude. You need to tell somebody about that before. Before. It's just, like, common courtesy, because, like, I'm an American, so, like, I'm not necessarily going to, like, be, like, pretend to be well-versed in other things that I'm not interested in. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. like, you know, being a Muslim, like, I completely respect your religion, I'm like, I don't mind dating you, but you got to tell me this shit before I start dating you because I'm not going to know, and you can assume that I'm going to know. So you do respect yeah. his religion? Yeah, I respect it. It's fine, so I'm not going to do it. Um, but, like, if he's, like, praying in a group of his friends, like, I'll, like, pretend to pray with him. Like, I'll, like, get up and get down when they get down and up. How do um, Muslims get down? <laughs> they, like, they, they, they just get down on their knees. Are you talking about prayer time? Asia, yeah, that's prayer time. I've been told you've got to get up to get down. Yeah, I think they do both. They get up and then they get down. Then they get up and down again. They do, they do it a lot. It's very sexual. You say when they got down, they got up again? Yeah, and then up and down again. They just keep doing that. So you're never going to keep them down? <laughs> I guess not. In related news, Chumbawamba just broke up. Oh, that would have been sad 10 years ago. Yep. And now it's fodder. Yes, both the boys were 17, and I was 19 at the time when I had the threesome, so I wasn't, like, going around pedophiling. I don't, I don't judge like that because what's acceptable sexually is very culturally based, and, yeah, like, being seriously. 17 and 19, to me, is perfectly fine. Like, my mom was married when she was 13. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but, I mean, because it was in a different country, it was acceptable. So mm-hmm. I totally do not condemn anyone who's 19 who has sex with someone who's 17. And to me that they Cute. go to jail for that is ridiculous. Yeah, that's I wasn't I wasn't shocked at it. I was excited. I wanted you to tell me more, but... Asia, you're going all guilty. What else happened in that room? <laughs> I would not mind if this podcast was comprised entirely of stories of failed and or successful threesomes. <laughs> And we just spend our whole time trying to decide whether or not this is going to be successful. <laughs> we don't even have to talk about any news stories. I am actually honored to be a part of any sort of first-time threesome with Seth. Like, I couldn't be happier. And I, I couldn't be happier with this arrangement. I mean, to, to have Asia here and to have our very most super fan, Chris O'Neill, here... It's it's like a double honor, and it's also a, a transcontinental honor. So Asia came prepared. What topics? <laughs> what, what topics did you want to discuss, Asia? Um, well, I don't want to discuss. Motherfuck! I already forgot the name. Um, Mitt Romney. No, it was the L. Libor? I think it was like the banking. Libor. Yeah, Libor. Yeah, that shit was boring. Like, I read both the articles, and that shit was, like, boring. It was, like, it just takes a while to get to the part where it affects every per- person in their everyday life. The LIBOR, the, the, the London LIBOR. The Interchange Bank oh, yeah. offer rate. No, but see, that's... I think that's the problem is that exactly. people do not think these things affect them when that actually affects uh, student loan rates, that affects mortgage rates. So it's actually, like... When a couple of people get away with fraud like this, it's affecting you, it's affecting me, it's affecting the students who own trillions of dollars in loans. I mean... I, I know how exactly it does affect us. I'm just saying, like, to get there, like, we're going to have to go over, like, a lot of boring shit. And I don't know if we have, like, necessarily... Um, like, because, because the fact that our super fan is here and we don't really have a lot of other people that listen to our podcast that <laughs> religiously, um, we might want to talk about some interesting things that, like, don't take us a while to get to the place where it actually affects people in their everyday lives. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, you have a point, Asia. Um, and I'd, I'd be glad to set it aside. I do a- agree with Chris's point and... Just for the rest of our fans, like I'll, I'll post a couple articles on the By That I Mean Facebook page at facebook.com slash by that I mean um, about the LIBOR scandal um, because Asia's right that it takes a lot of explaining to get to um, the part of this scandal that actually affects us. But Chris is also right 
that that's precisely the reason why it's important to make a fuss when these things come up because bank exchange rates and the rates that banks charge each other and charge governments and charge credit card customers um, are not things that are subject to our vote. We don't have the ability to vote out a shitty credit card interest rate. So it's, it's important to know about, but it's also not nearly as fun to talk about. So yeah, and like I, I was even thinking of ways to try to make it more interesting or to try to explain the story like more interestingly. And it, there's just, it just there's just no way. It's like some old British assholes got into a room and decided to make up a rate a long time ago, and they you know and they just been making it up. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, I can't even do it. It's funny. I was just thinking this morning, and I was like. I wish there's a way. I had the exact same thought. Like I wish there was a way to make important news more entertaining for people because I feel that's the only thing they care about. It really is. So it's like the image. So I had this idea of like making porn but making it with important news so all the actors are their lines are about important news. That way people will watch it. What porn or? It'll be porn, but like instead of them yelling, instead of them yelling like the other person's name, they're just reading the news when they're getting fucked. Or maybe there was was something like that in Russia. There was naked news. Are you serious? Yeah, people would pay attention. Like these bimbos in Russia would like do the news nude. Maybe that's. I don't know if they did it with actual intercourse though. I think you're pioneering the next logical step for this. Well, I mean, we can start with the plot. Like, for example, in this case, oh, obviously. a British man Chris, walks into our room, and there's a woman there, and she's defeated and poor. And she says, but I thought we agreed at a rate. And he goes, no, bitch, you just got fucked. And then we, we make a metaphor that America is the bitch who just got fucked, and the British man who walks into the room is the British bankers. Uh, that's so funny, because, like, yeah, that was so funny, because, like, I was, like, thinking while I was reading that story about, like, a movie where it's a metaphor, but, like, basically this, like, middle-class man who has, like, this daughter who's a slut, like, he just keeps getting raped by this really rich guy. And, like, people are going to be like, what the fuck is this movie? Because they're not going to know. But it's like he just keeps getting raped, like, completely. Like, that's all he does is just get raped, like, this whole movie by this guy. Well, his, like, slutty daughter, um, like, gets, like, poor and, like, on crack and, like, other shit. But, like, it was, like, I haven't oh, yeah. really thought about it that much. It was just a thought that went in my head. So, hey, you guys, we've got Obamacare now. That's, that's actually going to happen now. So what you're saying is that we lost our freedom of speech and this podcast is being censored right now. Isn't that what Obama cares about? It's lo- loss of We're going to be freedoms. sent to the death panel to be judged <laughs> by Michelle Obama. And her organic plants. And her legumes and vegetables. They're coming to judge us. And obviously we'll be found unworthy. And we'll be sent to the FEMA re-education camps. But yeah, the Supreme Court in the time since, by that I mean, last convened to issue an opinion. <laughs> Upheld almost all of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. I think that's kind of a good thing. It's obviously an amazing thing. What are your thoughts? Asia, you want to go first? I mean, it's a thing that happened, and I'm really happy about it. However, I am saddened and disheartened by public outcries of stupidity. I feel like the Obamacare Act, they, they should they should republicanize it in that like they should take it down everybody's throats in a positive message and make them follow it so that they know what the hell they're like trying to talk bad about. Well, and it should be easy to republicanize it because it was the Republican yeah. proposal for health care yeah, exactly. for the last 15 yeah, exactly. years. Chris, you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to say like, I mean, I'm happy that it got upheld mainly because I do think it's a good piece of and progressive piece of legislation that we really needed. But I also think that if it lost, then it would have hurt Obama politically and jeopardized the election. So I'm also happy for that. And uh, I'm also very surprised like at the reaction like these Republicans have against it. It's ridiculous. Like first, I don't even understand what it is. Um, I just read an article has said that when people are surveyed on the actual parts of the law, a large majority of Americans think all of those things are good things. But then when they're surveyed, well, what do you think about Obamacare? A large number of Americans do not agree that it is Obamacare. 
And the thing is, like, to your point, honestly, I, I feel like for some reason, Republicans are winning the language game. Like, they're just good at it. They've been winning the language game for, like, 30 years now. It's honestly, Do you know why they're winning the language game? It's because they dumbed down the language so that... So that- <laughs> and and it's, it's so funny because, uh, I mean, what both of you have mentioned brings up something President Obama said recently. He believes his biggest mistake of his first term is not telling the story of what he was trying to do. The reason Obama made the congressional majorities of Democrats in both houses of Congress try to pass health care is that it was the first the absolute first leg of trying to reestablish a middle class in this country. And it's a first and necessary step also in reining in the long-term debt problem that this country has. Cause the number one estimated thing that's going to continue to skyrocket in terms of costs in this country is healthcare. See, but I think at some point liberals and Democrats need to start blaming themselves for not reaching out to these people. I mean, they, I mean, we assume we're more intelligent. There's like studies that, I mean, controversially suggest that liberals tend to be more intelligent. So maybe they're like preaching to the choir because honestly, I don't think these Republicans, these like middle poor class American citizens, I don't think they're bad people. I just think they're people that they've been lied to, they've been misled. Like, I honestly don't think they're stupid. I, I just think that they're ignorant, they're ignorant. And then no one, this is the Republican party is the only party that speaks to them and it does it well because it doesn't talk well, yeah. down to them. It's, well, it's I mean, almost like, like Obama <laughs> provides a model for like how to actually talk to middle and working class audiences. Like if you've seen any of his rallies and like his campaign speeches of this 2012 cycle he's finally not just being populist but actually proposing a shit ton of measures including like extending all the bush tax cuts up to the middle class like infrastructure banks all kinds of things that no republicans will ever vote for but that actually would directly work to create middle class jobs i I just like when you see i I wish the democratic party were better at following his lead right right have you ever tried to argue with a baby? Because they just keep saying no. And, like, you give them several reasons, and then they just keep saying no. So it's not like they're just ignorant, but they're also married to their ignorance. Like, so much so that they can't even hear anything else but the own sound of their talking. It's, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, growing up, you grew up in the South, so I was like, I grew up in Indiana. It's just like one of those, like, after a while, it's just like, just shut up. I'm sick of dealing with you. Like, fine, whatever. Because, like, you know, you can just say, basically the end of it is just like, you'll see. And then eventually they do see, and they find ways to make their point still hold up, even though it has completely been shattered. I don't know how to deal with that. Well, I mean, it's hard to break through denial, but honestly, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, um, really it is about storytelling. It's ultimately a matter of who tells the better story. Um, I debated all throughout high school, flew all over the country, but also had to do a lot of in-state tournaments. So I faced a ton of people who were nowhere near as smart as me. Too egotistical at the time, of course, to recognize that the judges were also way below me. And I debated way above all of them and would lose a lot. By my senior year, I finally figured out, oh, I've got to just tell the better story and I'll win rounds. And I did. Quote unquote liberals and progressive folks have done a shitty job of telling a story. In fact, I think in most cases they don't even try. In most cases, I just don't think the Democratic Party, like writ large, actually tries to tell a story about what's wrong and how they're going to fix it. It's mostly look, we have to stop this crazy Republican thing. Right, they're always reacting to Republicans, but yes, they're never... it's very reactive. It's yeah. Not- so it's like you're never writing the book. You're always writing the review of the book, and that's exactly what yeah. liberals do. Like, they're not... They're rea- I mean, I don't know. It's they're, just so frustrating. Well, and also, they're still telling their story in a Republican... In the Republican right. context. Exactly. Like, they're trying to move to the right on everything. Right. It's seeking the non-existent Republican votes that are there for. Right, right. And I mean, again, this is the thing our president knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like as part of the campaign, Democrats are, again, like running a lot of policies that are popular, but 
obviously won't pass. Mm -hmm. But again, the elections have consequences. And if there isn't a Congress with enough votes to pass bills, then it doesn't matter if there's a president willing to sign those bills. Right. When these people are interviewed on the street, you clearly see that they're misinformed because if they actually knew what the law is, because no person will vote against their own personal interest, that's unheard of. You know, it's just like, it's just frustrating because I know like the reason they're voting, they're opposing this thing is not because they are opposing it. They're opposing the idea of it. And that's just frustrating. And honestly, I don't know how you can fix it. It always seems like ignorance. Well, here's, Here's over. I think Democrats need to learn to appeal to people's selfishness. I think they need to make the case that when people are allowed to freeload and not get health insurance and they go to the emergency room that costs everyone else money, that costs people up to $1,000 of their health care premiums every year are because of people who freeload and only go to the emergency room for medical care. Right. Um, and there's a Huffington Post article, the health law costs and benefits can add up to a win for young and old. And they give the example of two people, both of whom are currently uninsured, one of whom is older and has pre-existing conditions and makes a moderate amount of salary but can't afford insurance, and then a younger uninsured American who has no conditions. And so it turns out that obviously the older person is going to pay less for health insurance and the younger person is going to be forced to get insurance, but he's going to get subsidies. He's going to get federal assistance up to a certain amount above the poverty level. Um, And the health care that he will get will be less expensive than it would otherwise be once he inevitably one day got sick and actually had to use medical care. Notice how we lost Asia with the political talk. Yeah. She's that person, she's that person in here. the threesome right now. She's there. She's the vanilla that I haven't dug into yet. Oh, burn. Ooh. You knew this would happen. I was here. I was present. I was saying things. And then I <laughs> hey. stopped saying things because I used to refill my wine. Just because. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wine. know. <laughs> Have you heard the conversation we just had? Let me just say, just because I'm two hours late and unprepared does not mean that this will not be amazing. I've been late my whole life and it's always been amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've always shown up late and unprepared in it. Wow. Especially to threesomes. <laughs> especially to threesomes. <laughs> Would you be considered a colored person? Would I be considered a, a what person? A what? A colored person. A colored person. A person of color. We have this thing called CP time, which is like colored people time, where they just, you know, we usually run late for things. Cause, I have heard of this CPT. You know, I am. That's fine. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because I'm actually Syrian. I'm not American. So my parents are you always know. late. No, no, yeah. Like... My parents went, like, when you say, let's be somewhere at 9 o'clock, they leave the house at 9.15. <laughs> like, that's my parents. But then uh, Jorge's parents just visited from Peru, and it's very similar. Like, they were always late. And I told Jorge, I'm like, you know what? Maybe things in third world countries are way slower. So people don't really, like, rush places, you know? And you don't have to travel so much. So it's like... I think it's heat. <laughs> I think it's... I, I mean, I'm just like, this is a classic case of CP time. And I don't know if you would be considered one because, you know, you are Syrian, so like... I think you I would know be, that right? You're not, yeah, I mean, it doesn't Chris, matter what skin color you are. Regardless, like yeah, Chris is not Caucasian. That's why... Yeah. That's why I don't feel sad when Seth says the Chihuahua Chewbacca's broke up. What? what? Did you say earlier the Chihuahua's broke the up? The Chumba Chumba <laughs> That's why I don't get that. Oh my god. That's why I don't know what it is, but people look at me like I'm retarded because they assume I'm white. <laughs> that's why um, that's why when I looked at the article highlight I'm like, oh yeah, I'm skipping that one. <laughs> <laughs> Asia, should we play Chumbawamba for Chris? I'm thinking we have to. I think it's our like our duty as Americans. But they're gonna like Scottish. I know they're like Australia, like British or no, the British. You're gonna take away my Chumba Wumba cherry on our first threesome. I told you this is gonna turn out just fine. As I was driving um, back to Indiana, um, some radio station in some state—it was probably Wyoming—played that shit. 
And I was like, hell yeah. And I was like really getting into it. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, thank God I'm in the car alone. <laughs> and I remembered every single fucking word to that song. But they, like, it repeats a lot. So it wasn't that hard. Oh, I've heard this before. That's from the Longo, dude. Oh, wait. So, okay. Are you sure you're a colored person? Me? <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. I am. I just, okay. Are you trying to Nancy Grace Asia? <laughs> I have a very storied past, right? I grew up in Zionsville, Indiana. as two stoplights. I was the only black person in all of my schools. Oh and my I watched God. Clueless a lot. I could assimilate. And so people wouldn't make fun of the way I speak or ask. So, yeah, that's what I did. Uh-huh. But then they found other things to make fun of me about, and then I just stopped giving a shit. That's like me in reverse, because I came here, and I'm like, oh, I look white. I could totally blend in. <laughs> no, seriously, I didn't even... I only wanted to make friends with people whose English was their first language, because I oh, didn't wow. want to have any accent, because my dad told me, like, if you have accents, people will treat you worse. So oh, only make wow. sure to be friends with people who are, like, pretty much white. That's what I did in high school because I moved here when I was 16 and compared to someone who moved in when I did, they usually have an accent, but because mm -hmm. I didn't want to learn it from those people and I didn't like, I'd even deny being Arabic when I see Arabic people because I didn't want to talk to them. Oh, you're like a self-hating Syrian. Well, it's not. I think it was my dad worried about us, like growing up here because he knew the racism. It is. He even like, I mean, my name is not Chris. My name is Nadal. 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 Like N A D I L. N E D D A L. So it's Nadal. Oh, okay. And then uh, Sayaf was my last name. But then after 9/11, my sister got picked on for being Middle Eastern, mm. and threatened and pushed down the stairs. And then my dad got scared. He's like, you know, you guys don't even look Middle Eastern, so I'll just change your names and I'll feel better. So it's like it's sad to tell a child like you have to change your name, so you're not subject to hate and same how thing old with were you same, when same, that happened how old was i yeah um like 17 but my siblings wow. were younger like my brother was 16 and my sister was 14 and my young brother who is just five like he just learned his name we had to tell him oh no that we wait there's there's been an you know something we need to change your name now so it's like it's just sad like that even we who looked caucasian felt threatened so i can imagine like you growing up in indiana like how was that you know horrible <laughs> it was horrible <laughs> like, that was bad like you know i got picked on like i couldn't ride the bus because like people would throw things at me and i got Wait, threatened, what like year raped. Is um we moved here in 1990 are you this so is happening was, in yeah. 1990 oh yeah yeah people say racism is over like stop bringing up the race card yeah, it's yeah, hilarious when they say that. All the time. No, yeah, yeah like, um, the first black family moved to Zionsville in the 70s, and they got chased out with rakes and sticks, um, Cinco de Mayo style. The second family moved here in the 80s, and they left for vacation. They got back, their house was burned down. Um, and we moved here in 1990. So, yeah, wow. it was... It was crap. It was crap. And then, like, I, I went, like, I went to USC out of high school, and I was like, whoa, black people! Come to find out the black population was 6% at USC, and I thought it was, like, the most black people I'd ever seen. It was hilarious. God. This is... Have you guys seen Beasts of the Southern Wild? No, I really want to see that. I saw that movie, and I'm like, this cannot be taking place in the United States, because I felt like I was watching, like, some, like, National Geographic special about poverty in Africa. Oh, like I, I like know the that way that these movie people is, like, are stylized, but I haven't I haven't seen it. So like, uh -huh. I would love to have you back on the podcast to talk about that movie because yeah. I know I'm gonna want to talk about that. Uh, ironically, it sometimes takes moving to another country, changing your name, moving to another state, going to a different school to get away from that shit or to get above it. Yeah. But then, you know, it's like, that's why I think people who's been through these experiences fight so hard so this place stays safe. You know, that's why you try to fight for the whole planet to be safe, because you know 
what it was like to come from somewhere that was not safe. And now you're just reacting. You're scared that this place where you are now is going to turn to what you came from. And honestly, like the more I look at this government, the more I start to see similarities between them and the Syrian government. Like over monitoring, um, you know, restrictions of freedoms of speech, like the rising of the ignorant populace, it just scares me because I'm starting to see like... A little bit see... The fundamentalists, they can say these opinions and ideas like it's totally acceptable. I mean, we've come so far and now like, I feel like we're just tumbling backwards. It's very comforting to think that societies can only move forward, you know? I think it's over 30 states now have passed anti-abortion and anti-planned parenthood laws, laws reinforcing wage disparities between men and women. Like, we're sliding back in a lot of ways. That's what frustrates me about people who vote against their own self-interest because you have all these, like, women Republicans. Why are you voting Republican? Like, you may be attracted to their sort of, like, political policy, but is to you a political policy more important than your own body? I don't understand it. It's, like, ridiculous. Unfortunately, part of the story that's been told to women by conservatives is that they are lesser people. So I think for women that have believed that story, a lot of them feel okay being viewed as inferior. But if you tell them, hey, it's 2012, ladies in southern states, and you are still getting paid 80 cents or 75 cents on the dollar. Why can't they tell that? It's a lack of storytelling on the part of people who were doing the right thing and trying to fight for the right thing. And then a lack of critical thinking on the people who bought the old story and refused to give it up. But you have to go a level deeper than that because there's a reason why people don't make that leap because they buy the story because they're afraid to change their minds. And unless you have a better story that deals with their fears and their desires, then you're not going to get them to come along with you. But I mean, what happens when, like, why are they missing the opportunity? Like, I feel like Republicans... Because they don't even know it's an opportunity. It's, how can they not see it? Like, in the beginning of the year, Republicans lost a lot of point with women. So it's like, well, if Obama comes in and says, I'm fighting for women also, you can even gain more points with the women base that's already the oh, yeah. Republicans no, are already been, losing that's it. That's what but. he's been doing during the campaign season. Like and he's doing rallies across the country and that kind of thing. Okay. But that's not what gets played on the news at night. That gets like a two second sound bite and then the rest of the hour is Republican shit crazy shit Republicans have said in the last twenty four hours. <laughs> and who's getting charged with what crime today? <laughs> Asia, this reminded me of Of course you remember the CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference Convention, where that 13-year-old kid gave the quintessential Republican platform speech. Defining conservatism. His name was Jonathan Crone, and he was a googly-eyed, geeky youngster after my own heart. And he showed up at this conservative confab back in 2009 and gave all the bullet points of conservatism. And when I say that, I I mean literally all the bullet points. He laid out the entirety of what Republicans believe now. Wait, where was he giving the speech? It's basically a right-wing Comic-Con. So is the That's kid- what CPAC <laughs> is. CPAC is pretty much right-wing Comic-Con. So wait, is the like, kid doing it in protest or in support? Oh, no, like in support. Oh, wow. He, he was like their new miracle child because okay. he was this 13-year-old kid who, who understood and so perfectly echoed what Republicans believe. That to Leading, me- of course, to the point that Republicans have a philosophy that is so dumbed down. A 13-year-old gets it. But isn't that weird when they have kids come out and do this? It almost sounds to me like Nazi indoctrination. And here they are like fighting off Obama, like re-education camps. And at the same time, you're having a 13-year-old come up and like sheepishly. Oh, I saw a YouTube video of like kids at a right-wing church sect who stood up in a service and sang the song, Gays Don't Go to Heaven. Like it's... This sounds like a story from, like, you'd hear the Nazis doing in their early years of recruitment. We can't, like, we, can't not Godwin, we can't Godwin this pod so soon in. <laughs> to Godwin is an internet term for invoking the Holocaust. I mean, the Nazis are easy to go to because they did it so well, but any dictatorship starts like this. 
I'm not talking specifically about the Nazis. Just think of any, even current, like well, any ideology. Any ideology does this. It tries to appeal to the young because that's how you lock in membership for life. It's that's scary. when potential converts are at their most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But there's a silver lining in that. A lot of times those kids and Chris, like you were talking about earlier, that you were a devout Muslim until you were 16, 17. Uh, well, actually, it was like around when I was 17, 18. I, yeah, I kind of stopped it, believing in it. Did you have to do Ramadan? I did Ramadan for like 17 years. I even wow. did it the first year we moved here. You, so you could really not have sex for a month. That's, not, that's something like my wife was just telling me. You really cannot have sex for a month. Hold on, hold on. First of all, like all religions, what you say you can and can't do has no correlation of what you actually do. Second of all, I actually, I mean, I was a virgin, but I still jerked off during Ramadan. (laughs) And that's committing two sins. You're jerking off, which is a sin, and you're doing it in Ramadan. Double Ramadan sin. (laughs) (laughs) Double Ramadan foul. Podcast. (laughs) But then they told us that if you jerk off, you get AIDS. So, like, every time I would jerk off, even outside of Ramadan, I'd, I would, like, feel so guilty. And I'd be like, oh, my God, God, please don't give me AIDS. This that is exactly the- how you do not get AIDS. That is negative AIDS. <laughs> that, like, why is that not an advertising campaign? Kids? <laughs> Masturbation is the opposite AIDS. (laughs) See, you're going to be telling the story. What's your (laughs) anti-AIDS? Mine's jerking off into a sock. That is a great idea. I think I want to make a commercial out of that, like a a fake commercial. You should. You should. But uh, anyway, like, that's when I started feeling that this whole thing might be bullshit because I was, like, doing, I kept doing this for years, like, jerking off and then saying, oh, my God, please, God, this was the last time. <laughs> I'll never then, do it again. <laughs> I'll never do it again. This went on for, like, five years, and I'm like, wait, I still don't have AIDS. Actually, I had a stage where I thought I might have AIDS. The kind of, like, the observation kind of, like, clashes with what you were taught, and then... What did it for me is when I became really good friends with this uh, Jewish guy, and I didn't even know he was Jewish till like later, after I actually known met him and you know got attached to him as a person, and then later he tells me he's Jewish, and like everything was like, whoa, what do you mean you're Jewish? Like my whole life I'm taught like you're the enemy, but you're just like me. Like how are you an enemy? I don't understand this, and like. That's the moment where sort of my entire beliefs started crumbling, like one after another. That's so perfect, because it's exactly what this kid Jonathan Crone went through. Like, he, at 13, had a New York Times fucking best-selling book, because, of course, all the conservative publishing houses buy hundreds of thousands of <laughs> right, copies right, of right, their right, own right. books so that they can send them out to their AM radio listeners and subscribers. Well, putting that aside, though, like, this kid had a, national prominent platform at 13 but had an actual education and lived a little bit of a life and is no longer at all a conservative like he's in favor of gay marriage he says that the social conservatism part was the first thing that went away because you meet people who are different than you and the world doesn't end (laughs) he thinks obamacare is a good idea he would probably vote for obama this november loves the daily show and the colbert report reads the new yorker and is enrolling at nyu is this the same kid who gave the speech when he was 13 it's the same. Yeah. yeah it's That's that. amazing. Isn't that amazing? That, this yeah. is from Politico.com. CPAC's boy wonder swings left. And he says he attributes the shift at least partly to philosophy. He read Nietzsche, Wittgenstein, Kant, and a lot of other German philosophers. He says it was really reading philosophy that didn't have anything to do with politics that gave me a breather and made me realize that a lot of what I said was, was ideological blather that really wasn't meaningful. It wasn't me thinking. It was just me saying things I had heard so long from people I thought were interesting and just came to believe for some reason without really understanding it. I understood it enough to talk about it, but not really enough to have a conversation about it. This is why the Republicans are so opposed to funding education and higher education because they don't want 13-year-olds who believe so much in their ideology to go to school and take a philosophy class. Chris, you could not have more perfectly written a segue are you into the next article. <laughs> yeah. I told you I'm always late and unprepared, but it always turns out fine. <laughs> From the Huffington Post, Texas Republican Party calls for abstinence-only sex ed and corporal punishment in schools. 
That's not the part of the article that's interesting here. Early this month, Texas Republican delegates met in Fort Worth to approve their 2012 platform, notable parts of which take aim at the state's educational system. In the section titled Educating Our Children, the document states that corporal punishment is effective and recommends teachers be given more authority to deal with disciplinary problems. Additionally, the document states that the party opposes mandatory preschool and kindergarten, saying parents are best suited to train their children in their early development. And this is the best part. The position causing the most controversy, however, is the statement that they oppose the teaching of higher order thinking skills, a curriculum which strives to encourage critical thinking, arguing that it might challenge students' fixed beliefs and undermine parental authority. Honestly, like you're reading this to me and it sounds like fiction. Right? Uh, No, honestly, (laughs) I'm like, which Orwell novel is this? Dave? No, I'm serious. Like, I know it's, it's, I know. I mean, and if, if the, you, if you the look Texas and just earlier this year, the Texas school board voted to rewrite the history books to take out the contributions of black people to include the accomplishments of people like Newt Gingrich. Since every state buys its own textbooks, there are no national right, standards. Right, right. Texas is one of the main states that the other states in the union get their textbooks from. So, But you know what I hope is that with technology now, schools in other states can rely on things like iPads or some other curriculum or online textbooks to educate from. You know, well, I absolutely. feel like, wouldn't and that make it... Look at polling of children now. They are more progressive mm-hmm. than any other generation of Americans, and they don't get to express that at the ballot box. But if they did, and if they did in the number that they exist in this country, there would be no elected Republicans in office right, right. now. On the one level, it's terrifying to see Republicans trying to do this. But on another level, A, it's putting it so out in the open. That thank them for being honest, at least. Right. They and, always say, like, cultivate your enemy. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> um, and B, in an age where so many young people are connected to the Internet and where their natural curiosity hasn't had time to die, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that at least they'll avoid that even if they lose the ability to read right no but i mean to that, to that point like technology even helped people in the middle east for their curiosity and expressing so themselves. true so i mean so if those societies were able to awaken in that way it's no surprise that our younger generations are are more progressive because you know you connect to the internet and you meet people outside of your sort of social circle that are indoctrinating you and you see wait maybe there's another viewpoint maybe there's another religion maybe the internet internet is the first unified consciousness it is the first global consciousness yeah so i mean i am and it's just waking up right now you know it's but i wonder is this why they try to censor it at the same time are they scared I think most attempts to lock down and censor the internet are fear or greed-based or some combination of Mm -hmm. the two. Again, though, it's just a matter of trying to bring what parts of it you can bring and keep what parts of it you can keep under control of voters rather than under control of private companies. But (laughs) when there's one party trying to get schools to stop teaching critical thinking... I don't think that party is going to be very supportive of an open and free internet. Of course not. I I mean, I don't think that they have to be really that fearful of technology in schools, though, considering, I mean, public schools are completely underfunded. I've never seen an iPad in a public school here in Indiana. Thanks to No Child Left Behind, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, is this also in part why they are trying to steal elections now because they know that they can't win them? Exactly. That's been the pattern since 2000. If you can no longer win an election, honestly, you have to win it mm-hmm. at any cost. But the, again, the last remaining thing that they can never buy is your actual vote, which is why it's so important that everyone go out and vote in November and not sit this election now, out. Like, Republicans now is like the party of slaves. Like they're slaves to the rich. Ridiculously so. They're not free thinking anymore. They let people pander to them. They let people articulate for them. They let people think for them. Mostly the rich people. They, like, they let people buy their ideologies. And it's crazy to me. The more we stop thinking like they're actually letting anyone do something, we have to start thinking about who's doing it to them. 
who is brainwashing them. I feel like we always blame them and in that we end up attacking them when in fact we should be approaching them better. I mean, you're not going to They have to be anyone. very much a thing I've been thinking about a lot, especially this year. In order to change, change anyone's mind, you have to tell a story. But that story can't be one of attack. Mm-hmm. It has to be a story of love. You have to approach them from a place of love. And because, again, that's how the conservative movement hijacked America. They said, look, you have been taken advantage of. You've been taxed too much. You've been oppressed by big government, and we're here to rescue you. And liberals have not mounted a story that you've been held hostage and your country's political system have been held hostage by the richest people in the world. And you have to rescue yourself. I think part of why it's tougher to make that story is that it's harder to make unmotivated people into good citizens. But then do you think that even if the liberals still cannot tell a story, that the story can get so bad the Republicans can get so bad that in turn they're telling the truth about themselves at some point, and then that's when they lose populist support. I, mean, I would, way, I I would argue that's exactly what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, again, not to count chickens before they hatch, because if the economies of Europe collapse, then all bets are off. But I think at least at, at least as far as the Republicans side of the 2012 campaign is going to go. I think that is exactly what you're going to see as the story of this election mm-hmm. is Republicans revealing exactly what they have always truly believed in their right wingiest of hearts and making it absolutely perfectly clear how little that kind of ideology belongs in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think for decades, the few remaining Republican moderates were held out as this example that, oh, Republicans were really mostly kind of middle of the road. And there was a time 30 to 40 years ago and more, much more so 50 years ago and back where that was definitely true. But there are no more liberal or moderate or even like kind of mainstream conservative Republicans anymore. Yeah, I think. In sort of the same vein that you mentioned uh, that kid from earlier, how he, you know, he met gay people and he started abandoning his beliefs. You know, it's like it's it's kind of going to happen like this, where these people are going to grow up and their life experiences are going to clash with their beliefs. And then that will change them, you know, or or you have the flip side of that to when they feel those beliefs crashing and someone attacks them and says, you're wrong and you're stupid and blah, 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 that's, blah, blah. And then you retreat exactly infinitely further into that stilted old belief system. I don't think that convincing the old people who came out in 2010 to vote for Democrats is going to happen. But, oh, yeah, no. but I think it's obvious that the 2010 elections were not representative of who's actually going to be voting this year. What's weird is that, like, Democrats, I've always felt like this, that this, they just kind of seem, like, victimized or victims, and that, like, they don't, they're, they're not as, they don't use as many bully tactics as Republicans. Like, they don't, they don't. This is absolutely you know, true. I mean, they don't lie as much. They don't, you know what I mean? And, like, they, they don't speak up for themselves because they have somebody, like, yelling in their face constantly. And they're, the people that are yelling in their faces are yelling that they are, they are victims, which is funny. Because they're not, you know, they're, they're the ones that are lying to the people. They're the ones that are voting against their self-interest and not knowing it. They're just like big, ignorant bullhorns. Look just as Senate filibusters. The reason that cap and trade isn't law now, the reason why the stimulus had to be watered down, the reason why healthcare didn't have a public option is that Republicans have demanded that Democrats find 60 votes to pass anything out of the Senate. That's unconstitutional. But again, the Democratic Party are content to be victims of this, but they refuse to stand up for themselves and actually force Republicans to bring out the damn cots and talk and read from the phone book. Yeah, I mean, I've heard all my life, like, Democrats are ineffectual. They don't do anything. I just I just think they have this, this like, weird Stockholm Syndrome victim mentality where they're afraid to do anything. Or they're afraid, like, they'll say something occasionally, but it's not loud. And that's what happens when you get locked in fear. 
like I, the the thing I've noticed, like this, uh, the thing I've watched this country do since two thousand one and before it too, but especially since nine eleven, is kind of retreat into fear. And I feel like we're still operating from a place of fear in both parties. It's just that w- one party is in love with the same people it's afraid of, and the other party pretends to be against the people who are funding them, but is still afraid enough of them but that they basically follow most of their wishes. So what you're saying is that Asia cannot just go up to her boyfriend and attack his beliefs about how stupid sex is, not having sex is in Ramadan. She should, oh, she should sort of like introduce him to a gay man and so his beliefs start shattering first. And then he'll have sex with you during Ramadan. Does that make sense? Barely. Asia, has your <laughs> has your boyfriend met a gay man? That's a good question. Probably. I think that he has. I just don't think that he knew that they were gay. Maybe he should be friends with a Jewish person. Like things that you know will start to sort of get him to question. You know, like and so boys. getting him to have sex with me in the first place was a battle. Like literally, this is just true. a battle. They it feel so dirty. Like. Battle. Every time that he probably has sex with you, he's praying, oh my God, please God, don't give me AIDS. Coward, and then he prayed. Every time? He prays five times a day, though. No, sometimes he'll do it twice or three times, and then he'll shower and pray. Oh, he's like Muslim light. <laughs> no, 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 no. He prays five times a day. He prays five times a day. He goes to um, I know. mosque on Fridays, and then apparently Ramadan is happening now. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. He's like, no, I can't. Like, I feel like he can't see you because, like, every time he kisses me, he gets hard. So it's like one of those, like, probably not. But like, probably not. What the Muslims <laughs> lack in sex in Ramadan, they make up for in the food. So make sure you're going to his family's house every time they're breaking the fast because it's going to be oh, amazing. His family's in Africa. He doesn't break the fast. He's going to fast. Yeah, but you fast from like. It's not indefinite. Wait, it's not indefinite. You're not like not eating for a month. Yeah, I know. He's eating in the morning. And then he doesn't eat again or something like that. He told me. What else did you want to talk about, Asia? Um, did you want to talk about uh, Herman, Herman Cain TV? I don't. I don't at all. And this is why. I'm not giving that man a second of any sort of publicity for that fucking I love him shit so show much. that he calls a network. I love Herman I Cain him. so much. You know what? But he was never in it to win it. He was in it for, you know, Herman Cain TV, and he, he got it. No, no. I refuse. I refuse. Who else is going to sing Pokemon? I will post the articles about the LIBOR scandal, and I will post the video from Herman Cain TV. I don't think that's a good idea. I'm just, I'm just saying that. You put that when you post it. I don't think it's good. I don't want to give him any sort of publicity. It's just, like, disgusting. I will, I I will note. You know why I love him? Duly noted. No, look. We have to move on. Duly noted. Chris loves him. Asia would rather he not be around. I will note Asia's disapproval when I post it. Thank you. (laughs) But he's showing how ridiculous the Republicans are. Like, he's helping us. That's why I love him. And he's That's also true, because he, again, distills what remains of the Republican message out of lyrics from (laughs) Pokemon songs. (laughs) They are appealing to 13-year-olds. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder if that was planned. Like, hey, sing a song for 13-year-olds. The Republican base will understand that. <laughs> right? We're going to have to take it down to about a 13. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need like a middle school reading level here. Yeah, that's their focus group. It's like a bunch yeah. of kids. Maybe they asked them like, hey, what do you guys like? Oh, we like Pokemon. And they looked it up and they... Do you like cereal? <laughs> yeah! Do you like freedom? Yeah! <laughs> Do you like government? No! Which kind of 13-year-olds do you hang out with? Yes, Seth. The guys that are preschoolers? Still? <laughs> I only hang out with the quiet 13-year-olds. Can only say yes or no. Yeah, there really is no polite way to answer any of those questions. <laughs> They're quiet because Seth has slipped them a giant dose of NyQuil beforehand. No, no, oh. no. I think that Chris is insinuating that Seth likes their cheat year old.
I'm not judgmental against that kind of stuff. Yeah, your mom. It's illegal. Are your parents still married? Yeah, they are. Can I call you to talk? Oh, baby, you can call me whatever you want. Like, I'm just so, like, against people Americanizing their names. I don't know why. It's just like they've always been against. No, 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 I know why you. I completely understand that. Completely. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just that, like, you know, you should have, like, some of your family or your, like, people that are really close to you should be able to call you by your real name if you like that. Or, like, whatever you want to be called, really. Just, like, whatever you want to be called, that's what I will call you. I actually wanted to be called Anakin, but the lawyer said that's silly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, Chris. No, I'm serious. Chris, I so wish you had legally changed your name to Anakin. I really wanted to. I will call you Anakin if you want. Because I had... I would love that. No, honestly. That's so awesome. I had... Because I had just seen Star Wars Episode One, and I didn't... I've never seen a Star Wars before. And so I didn't have the prejudgment like of how good the old ones were, and I was totally blown away. I watched it like once a day for an entire. I think I learned English watching Star Wars. So like, nice. so like I didn't know all these names were not real English names. Yeah. Like I thought, you know, like Chewbacca was just an American name. Like I didn't know it was like a fictional. This is my boyfriend Naboo. <laughs> No, I mean, I didn't know Anakin was not a real English name. I really thought it was like an English name. So when we went to the lawyer to change our names, she's like, oh, you can pick any name you want. And I was like, I want to be called Anakin. And she's like, that's not a real name. She's like, is that a girl's name? Like, what's Annie? And then she literally was like, she's like, let's go with Christopher. It looks nicer on a business card. Like, that's how oh my, my, na- my name got picked by a lawyer. Oh, my <laughs> God. And I've, I, I've wondered this since I've met you. Is there an apostrophe in your name? No, I actually thought, here's how, like, I really on, didn't know. on your know. Facebook, and if you go to, what is it, search Chris O'Neill right, on right. Facebook, you can find him. But there's, it's just O'Neill. Well, like, because when I got my uh, driver's license, I, didn't, I was so new to this country, I didn't know having an apostrophe your name was, like, a thing. I thought they made a mistake. So I went back to the DMV and I'm like, oh, you guys need to take this thing out. And they're like, so what's your name spelled like? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't have that thing. Like, it doesn't have an apostrophe because I thought it was weird for a name to have an apostrophe. <laughs> so I took it out. <laughs> so now it's only without an apostrophe. Do your siblings have the apostrophe? Some of them do, I think, and some of them don't. <laughs> You just randomly removed it from half the family. (laughs) We had this class in school, a race education class, and we had to write about how our race affected our lives. And I wrote, I'm like, I feel so fortunate to look white because I have Middle Eastern friends who were born and raised here. And yeah, they're being damn. called they're being called terrorists and they were being harassed. And oh here God, I am. Like terrorists is probably <laughs> the most polite term they got called. Yeah. I mean, but I'm like, I'm looking at them like, so when I wrote the paper to the class and I think it made the teacher uncomfortable because I don't think she was expecting it. I said, oh, of course not. I said, I, w- I felt like I feel so fortunate to be Middle Eastern and to look white. It to me is so liberating. When I went to Japan, my friend, my black friend got stopped at the airport twice. And here I am like just, you know, for all they know, like culturally, I could be the terrorist. Like I grew up there, but they're Mm -hmm. totally going based on what you look like. And that's exactly what's happening in Arizona. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's it, like, it is precisely what has happened. And I mean, I, I, was, yeah. I was happy the Supreme Court upheld Obamacare, but I'm really sad that they didn't strike down that provision to stop and search. For everyone else, the Arizona law, SB 1070, that was the Papers, Please law, that allowed police to pull over anyone they suspected of being an illegal immigrant. The Supreme Court struck down most of that law, except for a provision allowing police to detain people suspected of crimes until their immigration status can be verified. And we've talked on the podcast before about private prisons and the Corrections Corporation of America, which has gone to 49 state governors now offering to take over public prison systems if they can guarantee 90% occupancy rates for those prisons. Um, But this was a victory both for people in Arizona, but also for the private prison companies, because now the police can still detain people they suspect of other crimes, yes, but also suspect of being illegal immigrants. The private prisons has to be a whole other podcast. Like, that's such a dangerous issue, and no one is talking about it. 
Yeah, I'm. It's like modern concentration camps. Private prisons and drones will have to wait for another episode of By That I Mean. As all wondrous arrangements and special moments in life, this threesome must come to a close. This has been another installment of the By That I Mean podcast. It's a production of the MFP Studios in Los Angeles, California. Asia Coleman, which number have you been today in this threesome? Probably three. Fortunately, I was thinking three, too. That's really interesting. You've been three this whole time. But, you know, that is my favorite number. And that is like the like the day I was born. Fair enough. Chris O'Neill, what number have you been? I don't know. I had my eyes closed. I couldn't tell what the other two numbers were. <laughs> you were definitely one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Seth Pearson, have been two. If you like this, please review us on iTunes, like Chris O'Neill has been the only person to do. If you like us, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash by that I mean. I really enjoyed doing it with you. And, and <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I love listening to the show and I'd, I'd like to do anything because I do think it's funny, but I also think there's a lot of important messaging in it that needs to reach more audience and like, I'd love to help you even with even like to do graphics or criticism or whatever you want, you know, and I love being here. And I feel like if I become more of a frequent guest, I kind of have to find a number one fan to replace me. That is true. Oh, no, we didn't think about that. We didn't think about that at all. He'll have to find a new super fan. Yeah. And I'm glad this was our first threesome together. <laughs> Thank you oh, so much for being our super fan, Chris. Okay. And also for joining us on the podcast once more. Yes. Thank you. I look forward to more joinings. Absolutely. And I look forward to more Asia-ings. Yeah, that's going to happen. But, you know, if you want to hear more of me, feel free to call me. I have a phone number that you have in your phone. What she's saying is she wants you to call her from now on and to never have to speak to me again. That's not what I said at all. She's trying to take you from us. That's not what I said at all. I said, like, if you want to talk to me, I've got a number. Why do threesomes always end this way? A brief but bitter affair. We, like, finished it, and we're like, oh, this was fun. This was good. Moments later, we're fighting who was better. This is... I knew this would happen. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's part of the journey, and I enjoyed it. I even enjoy this fight. So this is why masturbation is the anti-AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like, the, as threesomes go, this was pretty successful. Oh yeah, no, this yeah. is great. I'm so glad I we finally you. did this. Yeah. All right, Asia. I, I have here. I have to head out because I have to meet some friends for dinner. But I love talking to you. And hit me up on AIM or Facebook more often. Because when you're not having sex with your Muslim boyfriend, you'll have a lot of time to sext with me. I will do that because, like, Ramadan is coming up, so I'll have, like, tons of free time. <laughs> and you're not getting Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. Bye, Asia. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Seth. I appreciate your faith. Oh, I love Even you. Even though I can't see it. Bye. Bye. Bye.